We are continuing to celebrate all that God's doing. You look back to Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. Last weekend, we had our 70th birthday as our church and just an incredible time together. Aren't you grateful for God, his goodness, his faithfulness, his generosity? I'm so grateful for the leadership of our church, our church staff, just everyone in our church family coming together, making it through a pandemic, walking by faith, loving each other, and moving forward together by faith as well. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. If you brought a Bible or you want to find that chapter on your phone, a Jesus community, that's who we are, and it's also, it's how we're growing. It's how we're growing together to become more like Jesus, full of his truth, full of his love. The title today is, Are You Walking With Me? And I realized later on, a little ironic, because my walking looks a little different these days, but the doctors told me in two weeks, Lord willing, I'll be done with the crutches and the boot. So I am looking forward to that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you how you come alongside of us, Lord, how you understand and you know us. God, you know where we're fearful, where we're hesitant, where we're not trusting. You know where we've been hurt. And God, you know how to move our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you are risen and that you are real. And we worship you together today. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Are you walking with me? My mentor and pastor, E.K. Bailey in South Oak Cliff, Dallas, Texas, would say this several times during every sermon. Are you walking with me? It's a great question to think about in your own lives. You might be thinking today about who is really walking with you through life. How many people are walking with you? How well are you walking together? Do you need more people walking with you through this life? We need each other and we need God. And this question fits the passage on many levels. Now there's one verse in this passage that jumps out. It's the core of this passage. It's also, I would say, the cherry on top as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is not a scarcity mindset. This is seeing God in his greatness in what he wants to do in our lives so we will trust him more. Say, well, that sounds good. I want to say amen to that verse. But what people often skip over is the foundation building up to that verse. The two are linked together. In this passage, we see a shared passion and a shared commitment. We're going to look at four areas, and you can think through your own relationships your family, your workplace, your church, in your neighborhood. Are you walking with me? Are we walking together? Let's dive into this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 16. And the first aspect of this foundation is a complete integrity. We're going to talk about integrity, and we're going to see it right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 16. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, 
For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Complete integrity. You want a picture here, Paul, Titus, and another brother. He's anonymous. We don't know his name. They are carrying a generous offering. This is not a small offering. This is a liberal, generous offering that's going to Jerusalem to help those in need who aren't able to really pay the bills. Money is involved. There's a money trail. And because money is involved, the churches have chosen representatives. These representatives are trustworthy. When money is involved, you need trust, accountability, and transparency. Let's say those three things together. Trust, accountability, and transparency. When money is involved, trust, accountability, and transparency. Now, at our church, we know that we are stewards. Stewards means that we don't own our money, but we're able to take care of our money while we're here on earth. We're stewards, and we want to manage our money well. At our church, we have Financial Peace University. We've had hundreds of people go through this. It's equipping, it's training, so that you can manage your money well in your own life, in your own house, today, in the future. And so many people are bearing the fruit of saying yes to the biblical principles of stewardship when it comes to finances. Now, Paul writes this. We are taking great pains to do what is right. We want to do what's right with the money unto God, unto the families, unto the churches, and even unto the different regions. Why is he taking great pains? Why do we take great pains when it comes to trust, accountability, and transparency with our money? Here's three reasons why. Crooked is common. Crooked is common. When you read the Bible starting in the Old Testament, you can pick out so many stories, but I think of Elisha who healed Naaman. Now, Naaman had leprosy. Elisha said, dip in the Jordan River seven times. He did that reluctantly, but God healed him because he took that step of faith. So often, one step of faith that looks small is linked to something big that God wants to do. Now, when God healed him, he was grateful, and Elisha said, don't give me any money. I don't want anything. I've just been faithful to God, and now God's healed you. Well, Gehazi, Elisha's assistant, sees the opportunity that God has moved And there's a chance to take advantage of this recipient of God's grace. He circles back and he goes up to Naaman and says, well, I just have this request. Could you give us some silver and a few supplies? When it was so clear, God said, don't take anything. Gehazi went back in greed and thought, this is my opportunity to twist it and grab some silver. Well, as you go to the New Testament, you have Judas, who was the treasurer, took care of the money and betrayed Jesus. And what was he doing with the money when no one was looking? As you think of Jesus going into the temple, he flips over the tables. Why does he do this? Why is our Lord so angry? Because in the temple, there's dishonesty. There's people taking advantage of each other and exchanging money. And in the temple itself, people are ripping other people off. Crooked in the church. And then as the church starts, Ananias and Sapphira, they are lying to the Holy Spirit about the finances. Instead of being generous, they were hoarding and they were lying. And God made it very clear in that instance, that's not how it's going to be in my church. God is a God of justice and a God of accountability. Things might be wrong for a season, but God makes them right. And in the church, God wants trust, accountability, and transparency with finances. And this battle continues to go on today. 
Crooked is common. That's why we need a complete integrity. Also, crooked is crushing. I've met with people in our church in this very room with many tears who have given money to different ministries later to realize that it was a complete fraud, later to realize that someone had manipulated and used the money for a very different purpose. In our family, we gave to a ministry for many years and later found out what was really going on, what was happening all these years. And it's crushing if you've been giving to what you assume God's glory changed lives, but there's something crooked happening there. And not only that, but crooked is cruel. For the people who should receive the gift, they are in need, they are waiting, they are hopeful, there's potential to change lives, and yet the money is stolen. And as you take in all of that, may it renew a commitment on our behalf, because integrity is a commitment. The Bible says he or she who has integrity walks secure, a complete commitment towards integrity. Now, it is so easy to say, close enough, good enough. I don't think anyone's going to catch me. I don't think anyone's going to know. It's so easy to slip into that when it comes to taxes. It's easy to slip into that when it comes to credit cards. When your employer doesn't really check all the numbers for churches, in different ministries, in business, you're going to have so many temptations in the marketplace where you think, you know, if I took advantage, if I didn't really tell the truth, I could make a lot more money. And I'm telling you right now, that extra money is not worth your integrity. It is not worth to exchange your integrity for a little extra bling, a little extra that you're going to add to your personal account when no one's looking. So we want to be people of integrity. That means commitment. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 17, that money that is gained in a dishonorable way initially tastes like sweet bread. But then after that, it's like gravel in your mouth. And if you chew on gravel, you're going to chip your teeth. And if you have gravel in your mouth, you think, now how did that get in here? And how do I get rid of this? Why did I ever bring the gravel in my mouth? I don't want to chew on this anymore. I want to repent. I want to be someone of integrity. And I want to change. Integrity is at the core of every relationship. It's not just finances. Your relationships in your life won't exceed the level of integrity that you have. You won't have greater relationships than the greatness of your integrity. So integrity is the core. Before we start celebrating all these other things, we start with integrity. We want to be like Jesus, and it's a full commitment to complete integrity. If you haven't done it in a while, just say, Lord, have your way. Have your way with me. I want to honor you before people, before you, I want to do it the right way. I'm going to walk in integrity in my relationships, my word, in my finances. And that's going to set you up for success. God is gracious. He takes crooked people like Zacchaeus in the Bible, stingy people like Zacchaeus. They have encounter with Jesus, and they become generous, and they help the poor, and their hearts are changed. People of integrity. God can do it today. We start with a complete integrity. The second aspect is we have a common goal. Now, in verse 22, in addition... We are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous. And now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you 
As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that our churches can also see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as you said you would be. A common goal is important in your relationships, in your teams. This goal should be clear, and it should be compelling. Common goals that are clear and compelling bring collaboration and bring people together. Jesus had very clear goals. He told the disciples, we're going to bring the gospel to the entire world. It was clear. It was compelling. And you know what? The cost is high. It's important that it's clear and compelling because when the cost increase, will you still walk with Jesus? When you're following Jesus and you thought the cost would be here, but now the cost is actually here, will you still move forward with Jesus towards the goals that he's given you in life? Clear, compelling goals. The clear, compelling goal here is that they are united to make a difference in Jerusalem and help their brothers and sisters in need. And it moved hearts, it moved pocketbooks, it moved people, it moved churches, moved them in unity and collaboration because of this common, compelling goal that was from heaven. Now, what is the collaboration in this passage? Paul and Titus are walking together. Paul and the Corinthians, walking together. Titus and the Corinthians, walking together. The representatives of the different churches, walking together. The Corinthians and the Macedonians walking together. Paul and the Macedonians walking together. There are so many combinations of people that unite. And I'll tell you, the more we unite, the more we can do for the Lord. The more collaboration there is when we step out of our little lane, our denomination, our you know, ministry, our 501c3, and we link arms for the greater good for Jesus that's lined in his truth and in his love. It's got to be in his truth and in his love we come together. Watch what God can do. This is Jesus' prayer, longest prayer in John 17, is that we would drop the logos and egos, come together with the banner of Jesus and glorify his name. And they catch that vision. That's what they're doing in this passage. And that's why great things are going to happen. Now, the heart of this passage in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul refers to it. You can go back to Exodus 16. And it's a scene where they're in the wilderness and God is bringing them manna. In Exodus 16, and starting in verse 15, we read, As the manna is coming from heaven, the Israelites saw it and they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they were measured, they did not have, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Now notice the principles. Everyone works. Everyone takes initiative. The Bible says, you know, if you're in between jobs, pray, build up your resume, interview. Okay, the final results are over control, but everyone should be working. 
Everyone should be working. Now, as people are working, some people are going to have more, some people are going to have less. The people in Jerusalem had less. The people in the Macedonian region had more. So then in generosity, give to those who have need. And with that love and with that gift, there's also a responsibility. A selfish life is a hollow life. A selfish life looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a hollow life life. And Paul is trying to urge the Corinthians. They have good intentions. They have good initial steps. Now Paul is encouraging them, don't stop halfway. Keep going, Corinthians. Keep going. Now to whom much is given, much will be required. This is far more than financial in this passage. It's far more. uh, But when you think about the goals that God has given to you, goals as a family to unite, where God has placed you in your neighborhood, to love and know your neighbors, where you work, to be on mission, to be an ambassador for Jesus, where you work, through your gifts, through your listening, through your caring for people, your generosity, sharing your faith. In so many different ways, you bless other people. God has placed us here for 70 years, right here in Auburn, to bless this city. God has placed us here, not accidentally, but right in this location to make a difference in Auburn and bless this city. And when you think about what God is doing, Grace Community Church, common goal, it's to see lives transformed. An encounter and a relationship with Jesus, because there's no deeper transformation in life than to know Jesus. And then as you abide with Jesus, bear much fruit, make disciples, change lives. And whether it's one-on-one, we just heard Kay's story. What a beautiful story of a friendship that developed out of a challenging first start. There might be things that God wants to do in your life one-on-one with people that you need to move past the flesh, walk in the spirit, see people how God sees people, and build relationships and friendships and even family-like relationships with individual people where you live, work, learn, or play. And then globally, I think of our international partners in what God is doing through Grace Community Church. It's the common goal. We're blessing people here. We're blessing people overseas in collaboration. Over Easter, we had a partnership and a campaign with Global Media Outreach. And through this digital outreach, our team here made content. And over a million people went through the gospel this Easter. And over 49,000 made first-time decisions to follow Jesus. We praise God. We praise God. To God be the glory. And the team there, Global Media Outreach, they follow up. They come alongside the people. They bring discipleship content. They help them find churches in their location. God is doing both on an individual basis and on a global basis right now amazing things. Amazing things. And God wants us to trust him, be faithful, be generous, be kind, and bless other people. It's been the story of our church for 70 years to bless the people around us. Now, when you think about integrity as a foundation, and then you think of coming together, collaboration, common goals from heaven, it leads to a cheerful unselfishness. Integrity, community, generosity. This is how God was working then. This is how God works today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And this will lead us into that verse that we started with. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 4. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared... We, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements 
arrangements for the generous gift that you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man or woman should give what he or she has decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to give reluctantly? Have you ever given something grudgingly? Kind of halfway, half-hearted? You know, after Resurrection Sunday, with the celebration, the beautiful weather, the changed lives, seeing people come to know Jesus, what an amazing celebration, I went to pick up lunch. And for the family, I stopped in this restaurant, picked up the order, and then was going to sign, including the tip. And I had a moment of hesitation because I thought to myself, as I was getting ready for that, you know, 20% tip, I thought, wait a second. I'm not dining in. I'm just picking up to go. What are you supposed to give for a tip when you just, it's to go? I mean, how much service is there to swipe the credit card and hand me the food? Is that 20%? Do you ever have those conversations in your head when it comes to money? Am I the only one? And so I had that moment of hesitation. And for all of us, when it comes to generosity, I think there's the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh says, hoard. The flesh says, no, don't give. The flesh says, it's all about you. The flesh says, don't give a penny more than they earn. And, and the spirit says, well, what about Jesus? And you kind of have this little wrestle match, this internal civil war. What am I going to do in this situation with our finances? What am I going to do with generosity? What am I going to do here? And you have those moments. And I just gave in to God. And I signed that thing off 20% thinking, what did I just do? What did I just do? And then we talked, and as she swiped my card and handed me the food, I found out, well, this is the manager of the store. And we talked about the store, because I like the restaurant, and I just gave a few compliments. And then she could see I was on crutches. And so then she said, let me carry this out for you. And I was like, okay, so now she's coming <laughs> to carry the food out to me, and she puts it in the car. Now I'm set, and I'm thinking, I've got to invite her to church. So I pull out a Grace Community Church card, and I said, here, I think you might enjoy coming to church. And she said, thank you so much. I'm very interested in coming. And, and she said something about blessing, and I could tell as she shared something about God that faith was part of her life. And then next thing I know, and this is just how I am, but I'm pulling up my phone, showing a picture of my family. There's my wife, there's my kids, you know, and we're doing this bonding in the apartment. She's probably got to get back to work. But just imagine if I would have gone stingy on the tip. Mmm, it's takeout. Maybe I'll just do 2% instead of 20%. I mean, how much work is it for her to hand me the food? Imagine if I would have done that, and when she goes back in to see where's the tip, it's 2%. Here, come to our church, and 2%. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> Here's the point. We're always representing Jesus, and if you tip someone who's serving so hard at a restaurant, you think that's easy to manage a restaurant? To go the extra, when do we ever go generous and regret it? When do we ever, now initially we might regret it, 
But after about 10 minutes or 10 days, when do we look back and say, wow, I really dishonored the Lord by being generous. I don't know why I went the second mile. I don't know why I followed the Spirit's prompting on that one. That was radical in the generosity. Why do we get so stuck so often? Because the God of all grace is able to give you all things so that all you need, you will abound in every good work. Our view of who God is and who Jesus is should inspire us to glorify him in every way. It kind of comes down to the hands during the day. We either grip it tight, this is my time, these are my, you know, paychecks, or, or we just hold it loosely and say, God, who do you want me to bless today? God, this is yours, I'm going to steward this. What's on your heart? God, how do you see people? What causes break your heart? What's important to you, God? And then here it is. You know, there's a woman that inspired in the Bible in Mark chapter 12, And this is in verse 41, just a couple of verses, and she didn't put a lot in the offering, but this is a widow. And in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's saying, notice this. Pay attention to this, disciples. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live in. She had love, she had gratitude, she had initiative, she had enthusiasm, and she had a heart of praise that said, all for Jesus. She didn't ask, now, is this tax deductible? What would happen if there was no tax deductions anymore? What would happen? Imagine what would happen in churches and ministries across our land. Here's the principles. Uh, The greater the challenge in life the greater the unselfishness that's needed. The more that your family's going through in terms of hardship, transitions, conflict, the more unselfishness is needed during that time. How big are your challenges right now? How willing are you to be unselfish? You know what won't work? The challenges are really difficult. They're really big and you feel it in the marriage, you feel it in the home, and you know what? I'm just going to hold on to my selfishness and just think everything's going to be fine around here. That will not work ever, ever. You don't need to hit your head against that wall 10 times. You really don't. So go unselfish, go generous, start in your own family and watch what God will do. We had a challenge, you know, just in our offices. Our team is growing, our staff is growing. That means we had to move people around Our staff team has been so flexible to move departments and off. Just when you get settled, just when you put that picture up, just when you have the desk where you want it, just when you get that view out the window that you like, and then what happens? Some more staff on board. We got to move offices. Here it goes. It might be something like that at your workplace. could be like something in your home. But there's a challenge that comes that tests your unselfishness. And I'm so grateful that we have a generous, Jesus-loving church 
We've seen it in terms of just finances, meeting the budget, invest in tomorrow. We are debt-free. This is a church that loves Jesus, is not stingy, and we go for it. Uh, pray for the elders the next two weeks because in our fiscal year, which starts in September, they're making the decisions right now, the next two weeks. So pray for the elders as they review the budget. Uh, this is far beyond finances. Here's another principle. Love is always demonstrated through giving. Starting with Jesus, say, how do you know where there's love? Love is always demonstrated through giving, and it's often sacrificial giving. When we give, there's three um, key pieces. One, the giver's blessed. Second, the receiver's blessed. And third, God is glorified. When we live generous lives, we're actually most fulfilled, not hollow. And then the people around us are blessed, and God is glorified. Proverbs 11 Starting in verse 24 says this, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. You know what happened to me this week? My wife and I went on a date and someone in the restaurant just paid our bill. I don't think that's ever happened before. We got, you know, to the point where we're pulling out the credit card and the waitress just said, it's already been paid for. There's another couple. They paid for you here. What an amazing thing. I think we need to do that for somebody now. You know, generosity begets generosity. There's a law of the harvest. You sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. This is true in different realms. Agriculturally, that's true. That's true. Finances, true. Relationships with your time and your love, that's true. Spiritually, this is true. How you sow your seeds is directly linked to the size of the harvest. When we have seeds, we can waste them, we can devour them, we can hoard them, or we can invest them. Investing initially feels like a loss. Wait a second, I could have just devoured that, but instead I invested that. But ultimately, our decisions today determine our future. The decisions we make today determine the future. Let me ask you, where do you want to be in life in two years? Have you ever thought about that? Just slowed down in a busy culture and thought, where do I want to be in two years? Where do I want to be in 20 years, and then do the backwards engineering, what are the decisions I need to make today to be there in two years? And I guarantee you, it's a path of generosity, of abiding with Jesus, with your time, your talents, and your treasure as well. Uh, materially so, into Jerusalem, and there's a spiritual harvest. Here's some things that help me to hold it loosely and to honor God. First of all, I'm not going to take anything with me when I go to heaven. No one ever has. There's no U-Haul going with you. You don't look back and say, I want that, 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 that. Let's go. No, you came into this world with nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. Also, there are treasures in heaven, and there are rewards in heaven that far surpass anything earthly. That's something that Jesus highlights. And I remember What's eternal? This is what's eternal. God's word is eternal. People are eternal. God is eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. So where do I want to invest? I want to invest in God's priorities. I want to invest in what's eternal. When I think about our international partners in this unselfishness, Ron and Sandra Mishner in Belgium, 
They spend time with a dear elderly neighbor, a widower. Sandra makes him meals and treats. He knows we're Christians, and he's not antagonistic toward the Christian faith. But he has seen the abuses of religion, and we emphasize that Jesus would not agree with such abuses. He regularly tells us he's not a believer, and he also tells us that he tries to keep the virtue of hope. May we continue to have opportunities in our words and actions to show the lasting hope of Jesus. And Mel Davis in Slovenia writes this. There's a woman in the Bible study. Where would I be, she said. This Bible study that they had again last week, they're in the first letter to the Thessalonians where Paul joyfully recounts how they had welcomed the gospel message with joy given by the Spirit. And even amidst severe suffering, they turned from idols to serve the living God. And this woman is saying, where would I be if my friend hadn't brought me to this Bible study? What would my life be like now if nobody invited me to this Bible study? She's amazed. And she said, if God had not worked that way in my heart, the same way for the Thessalonians, the same way for me, trust God with the results. Now, as we wrap up, There's a fourth piece. It's commitment to Jesus. And here's the last two verses. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The question Jesus really asks us, are you walking with me? And the challenge for the Corinthians is to go from secondhand to firsthand, to not have to go through Paul every time, but instead go directly to the God of all grace, listen to him, trust him, let him lead you, empower you, firsthand relationship with God. It's good to have Paul in their lives, but they've got to hear from God so they own it. They are empowered. They know what God's telling them. They're listening to God and they're going to run for God's glory. Paul's giving them this reassurance they need into God's character, his vision, and the provision Because when you abide with Jesus, you're abounding in love and good works. You're going to see the gospel advanced. You're going to see people in poverty, supplies and provision. And you're going to see local churches bolstered. It's a pattern of the Bible. You're going to see the kingdom advanced. You're going to see people who are lacking. You're going to see God's provision. You're going to see churches built up. God is inviting us. He's inviting us to invest. What is it? A foundation of integrity to come together as community with common goals, to live a life of generosity with a commitment to glorify Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are so generous with us. And God, forgive us for times that we're selfish, that we're stingy, that we don't use our talents, we don't share our story, we don't listen to people well. We don't pay for a meal. When you're prompting us, different settings, God, help us starting at home to be kind and generous. Help us in our communities to honor you. And we trust you with the results as we walk by faith together, Jesus. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.